Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. You, you glad to be here? Good, 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 good. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and 9. We're going to kind of use Romans 8 as a, as a uh, launch pad to go into Romans 9. We ended with Romans 8 last week, but there's something that I want to do and kind of set straight with us this morning. Actually, the Apostle Paul wants to set it straight. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. This is a message called Promise and Concern. And we're going to see a promise that the Apostle Paul gives us that we can stand on. You can stand on God's word no matter what's going on. You and I have the ability and the opportunity and the authority to stand on God's word. God's word is true. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, verse 37. It says, yet in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who's the him? It's Jesus. It's in Christ that we're conquerors. And Paul's literally saying that we are super conquerors. If you were to look up that word in the Greek, we're super conquerors. We're not just victors. We're not just victorious. We're super victors. We are more than conquerors. And so here's the amazing understanding that I think we can all extract from this passage that we closed with last week, the more than a conqueror is not only where we are right here and now, it's on into the future. So no matter what we experience, no matter what we're exposed to, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The big question is, are you in Christ Jesus? If you're in Christ Jesus, you're what? More than conquerors. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Paul makes that huge statement. And that Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole book of Romans because it's so encouraging. And how many of you need encouragement periodically? Well, Romans 8 is so encouraging during difficult times, during bad times, during good times. And so we... we picked up on verse 37, but then we, we get to this kind of big moment. Suddenly there's this, this big, gigantic moment in Romans 8, in verse 38 through 39, and it kind of reminds me, before I read it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the 70s and 80s rock music. I mean, let's just face it, that was the best, okay? S latter part of the 60s, so, and... Um, Something that was indicative to all that music is the big guitar solos. Like if all you heard was that guitar, that lead guitar solo, you recognize that song. You know what I'm talking about? I know I'm dating myself, but I, I've run across millennials that listen to classic rock. So that 70s, 80s, big splash, guitar rips, you know, you recognize that song. That's kind of what's happening here with the Apostle Paul when he says we're more than conquerors. And then he gets down to verse 38. It says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. This is the guitar solo right here. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Even the powers of hell cannot separate us from God's love. Even the powers from hell cannot separate us from God's love. No power in the sky in verse 39. 
or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I honestly can't think of anything better than what we just read. Nothing can separate us. I I think Paul did a masterful job in expressing the fact that nothing can separate us from God's love. God loves us no matter what we're going through. God loves us. Nothing in all creation will, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. And, and, and then, that, that's the end of Romans 8, and, and then something happens. And my message is promise and concern. So we see the promise in chapter 8, but all of a sudden we shift gears into Romans chapter 9. It's actually kind of a bummer. I remember I'm riding my Harley, and I was with Pastor Jeff. We were going up Roro Canyon Road. Beautiful day. It's a little bit hot, but when you're on the bike and the wind's hitting you, it feels good. Beautiful canyon there going up Roro Canyon from Elsinore to Menifee, and we were just cruising along side by side. And I don't know what I was thinking, but we were going pretty quick. We were doing the speed limit, just in case anybody was no. (laughs) But we were just enjoying ourselves. And then all of a sudden, and it's just one of those things, I can't even explain why I did it. I downshifted two gears. I don't know why. Okay. But in that moment, I lunged forward and back and my, I skid a little bit and then I, I saved it. I got it back in the right gear. And I've been riding for a while now, so it makes no sense that I did that. But when we got to a signal, we pulled up, we're at a signal, and Jeff looks at me, and I look at him, and he goes like this, and he he shakes his head. (laughs) And and I I shake my head, and I said, brother, just forget about it. (laughs) Just forget about it. In other words, you better not tell anybody. Okay? Just forget about it. That's what happens here from Romans 8. To Romans 9, you've got all this good news. You're cruising along. The wind's hitting you in the face. You're feeling good. It's a beautiful moment. And then Paul shares with us, well, let it speak for itself. Romans 9, look with me at verse 1. It says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. That's not too bad, but watch what happens. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. Wait a minute, Paul. What are you doing to me? We're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And now you're talking about bitter sorrow in your heart, unending grief for my people. And here we go. And this is the reason. My Jewish brothers, he says, and sisters, I would be willing, Paul says, to forever cursed. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Oh my gosh. Did you hear that? He just got done saying that nothing's going to separate us from God's love. We are more than conquerors. We're not just victorious. We're beyond that. And then he downshifts two or three gears, right? And we're just, all of a sudden, we're shook. And he says that I'd be willing to be forever cursed. Paul, 
cut off from Christ if that would save them. Wow, what emotion that I see, what heartfelt concern and sadness that I see from the Apostle Paul for his people, for his family. Paul's a Jew. He's talking about his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he, and he says, you know, I'd forever be cursed and, and cut off from Christ if they would be saved. Look at verse 4. They're the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them, and he made covenants with them, and he gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. I mean, God gave it all to his chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. He says, the privilege of worshiping him, his, his chosen people, receiving all those beautiful, wonderful promises, Paul says. And, and what we're talking about here is God's sovereign election. God's sovereign election. And, and what Paul states here in verse 4, they're... The people of Israel, he's talking about. They're chosen by God. They're adopted children. God revealed his glory to them, it says. He made covenants with them. He gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. And then Paul makes a major point. In verse 5, he says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God. Paul says, Christ is God. The one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. And he says, amen. Paul hurts so much at the thought of his people perishing without Christ. He was willing to forego heaven and even suffer damnation for, for their sake, that they would be saved. And, and, and Paul, listen, understand something. Paul knew that God would never accept that kind of bargain. This is not a negotiation. Paul's just identifying his heartfelt passion for the lost. Boy, I wonder what, I wonder what it would be like if we adopted that kind of passion for the friends we've had for years that we've never spoke about the Lord to them, for family members that we just, oh, we better not get into that conversation because it'll create a riff in the family. I, I wonder if we had that kind of passion that Paul has here. I, I think it would probably motivate us. It would change a few things in how we would maybe discuss certain things and point people to Christ. But Paul's emotions were real. They were passionate. And, and why? Because those were his people, the Jews. He longed for their salvation. He was proud. Paul was proud of his Jewish heritage, no doubt about that. His hurt was intensified. And I think many of you have felt that before toward family members, towards friends. You begin to experience this hurt toward them because they don't have a relationship with Christ, the benefits of God's blessings. They haven't stepped into a relationship with Jesus. And, and he, his hurt was intensified with the awareness that, that they had privileges 
And they had benefited from those privileges because of what God had done. And you read the Old Testament, you see all the times that God saved them and re-saved them and helped them and rescued them. And then Jesus came as Messiah, who's God over all and praised forever. He came for them. He came for us as well. So those of us who have loved ones and you have a relationship with the Lord, you get this. You understand what we just read, that we have a heartfelt ache and hurt for those who haven't stepped into a right relationship with God. You know what I'm talking about, and that hurts. And, and so we're careful about how we have discussions, and I think we need to. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to speak and open up those doors so we can have meaningful conversation. So Paul, we see his heart was aching for Israel. We go from Romans 8 where it's just, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I needed today. That's what I need to get through the week. And then we jump into Romans 9 and it's like, oh my, wow. But before we proceed, I want to talk to you a little bit about election because this is a subject a lot of Christians get into deep discussion and deep divisions over. And, um, and Paul bases his defense of God's character on this doctrine of election. He does. And, and it doesn't always sit well with people. I've, men, I've had many discussions where people just struggle with the idea that God has chosen certain people. And, and I've come to the term or the understanding that there's just some things we don't fully understand but we accept in faith. The prophet Isaiah records God saying this. And Isaiah, I have it on the screen. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. This, by the way, was written some seven to 900 years before the, the birth of Christ. But Isaiah says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Would you agree with that? Our thoughts are nothing like the thoughts of God. Says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher, higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So if you've come to a place in your life where you feel like you need to understand everything before you can accept everything, there's a lot of things we don't understand. And that's why faith is a crucial characteristic that Christians have. It's believing in things that we don't always see, but we have faith. I like what R. Kent Hughes says about this passage. He said, we should also note that the doctrine of election is nothing new. It was the view of Tyndale and Wycliffe, the hymn writers Isaac Watts and John Newton, the evangelist George Whitefield, the revivalist theologian Jonathan Edwards, uh, the reformers Luther, Calvin, Zwingili, Huss, and Knox, and a host of Puritan great preachers such as Spurgeon, and Alexander White, it's a basic element of Christian theology. It's election. God, it, it, let me just say it to you this way. To understand election, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're saved. You know you're going to heaven because Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You're living out. You're experiencing God's election. He chose you. 
He chose you. So we want to turn in our text. Paul answers those who might uh, say that if Jews are not saved, God failed. If, If all the things that took place in the Old Covenant, from Genesis all the way through the prophets, leading up to the New Testament, If the Jews aren't saved, then God failed. Here's what he says in Romans 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? I love the way Paul communicates because he answers his own questions. He poses a statement or a question, then he answers it. And he says, no, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, now catch this, if you, if you have some understanding of the Old Testament, you'll really pick up on this. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, through Abraham and his other children too. In other words, natural descent or the Jewish bloodline wasn't sufficient. That's the point Paul's making. And keep in mind, he's communicating to an audience that is a little hostile towards this movement called Christianity, the way. And so he has uh, recipients of this letter reading, hearing these words, who would argue with him that if you're a Jew, then you're saved, you're going to heaven. And in verses 8 and 9, Paul uses the famous example of Isaac and Ishmael to illustrate the principle of divine choice, election, okay? So we see in verses 8 and 9, let me read it. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. And so through Ishmael was descended, I mean, excuse me, Ishmael, was one of the sons, but uh, and though he was descended from Abraham, God chose the other son, Isaac, Isaac and Ishmael. So they were both born from Abraham, father Abraham, but God chose Isaac. Interesting. It's interesting. In fact, God arranged for Isaac's birth to be a, a working miracle in the darkness of Sarah's womb. She was barren. It was a miracle that she even had a baby. And and, and Paul, at this point, he realizes the argument here that God would choose Isaac because he was the son of Abraham. And, And the argument might be, well, he was the son of Abraham's full wife, legitimate wife, Sarah. And yet, he submits another case about that of Jacob and Esau, who were the sons of one mother. And he says in verses 10 through 13, and and, and track with me here because this is so important. It might be a little confusing, but Paul's making a point that you're you're not born into salvation. You're not born just because your parents are Christians or you were brought up in the church doesn't mean you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Okay? And so verse 10 of chapter 9, it says... This son was an ancestor, Isaac. When he married Rebekah, he gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And this message shows that God 
chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In, in, in Jewish tradition, it was the oldest of sons that would inherit and lead the family. But God didn't do it that way. He t- chose the younger son. In the words of Scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Okay? Born from the same father, but I love Jacob, Esau I rejected. And so... It was Jacob that became the heir because of God's sovereign choice. God chose Jacob. It, that word choice literally means election. And this wasn't because of any moral virtues or good works, because the twins weren't even born yet. God chose Jacob before they were even born. Interesting, huh? So we see some interesting things here and how God chooses and yet we don't understand. And you might come across somebody that they've heard the same thing you have about Jesus. They've been exposed to the same things you have about faith in Christ, about the fact that Jesus offers forgiveness of all of our sins and that uh, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior and become born again, we have eternal life in heaven, forgiveness of sins. And, and, and you're perplexed because you have maybe family members or friends that have heard those same message, and yet they've not accepted Christ. And you wonder why. It says that God accepted Jacob, but rejected Esau. And that word rejected, in some of your versions, is the word hate. And God didn't hate Esau or the Edomites, his descendants. But in comparison to his choice of Jacob and the Israelites, he loved them, Esau, and the Edomites less. Okay? This is interesting because Jesus said something very similar to this in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to what Jesus said. And a lot of people struggle with this verse. I'll read it. This is Luke 14, 26. It says, if anyone comes to me, this is Jesus talking, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa. It's in the Bible. Wow. Let me read it again. This is what Jesus said. If, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And here's what's going on. And it's the same thing that's going on with what Paul's saying in Romans 9, what Jesus said. It's the idea of, of hate. But listen, Jesus isn't telling us to hate our father, our mother, brothers and sisters. He's not telling us that at all. What he's saying is the love that you're to have for me in comparison to them is going to be like that, okay? In other words, Jesus has to be number one in our life, our Lord and Savior. God God loves us. God loves you. 
So the love that you and I have for Christ in comparison to the love and fondness that we have towards people and family members is that chasm of, of like hate, but it's not hate. It's that we love God so much and we love the Lord so much that we want to live for him. And when you go to the original languages, it opens up that picture of, well, I'm, it, it, it doesn't open up the picture of, well, I, I need to hate my husband or my wife. I need to love Jesus and hate. No, that's not what it's saying. It's, it's the level that God is supreme. Again, if you're saved this morning, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, then you don't have to worry about, I wonder if God chose me. I wonder if I'm elected. You don't have to even think about that. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, that answers that question. However, if you don't have a relationship with Christ and you have yet accepted him as your Lord and Savior and began to start living for him, then I think that's a valid question to ponder. Did God choose me? And the fact that you would be pondering that question is very good news. Okay, that's good news. You need to pursue that. You need to pursue that. Listen to this. It's a verse that you hear me share so many times. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life. So there's that condition or process of believing in the salvation of God. And it's because God loves you. The apostle Peter said this in 2 Peter 3.9. He said, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God is patient. So many of us have had many, many opportunities and chances to get right with the Lord. And Peter says it wonderfully. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's will. It's God's desire that everyone come to a point where they repent. That word repent means to recognize that you're a sinner because everyone is a sinner. And if someone says they're not a sinner, they just committed the sin of lying. Okay? We're all, we all struggle with sin. But it's recognizing that and saying, God, forgive me of my sin. That's repentance. It's taking ownership of, yes, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Being a Christian or becoming a Christian is not an indication that you're weak. It's an indication that there's someone much stronger than you, God, and it's submitting to God and giving your heart to him and stepping into God's purpose and plan for your life. Peter says it beautifully. God's patient. I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. And my wife and I talk about this all the time. We've been talking with our children about it. We're just saying, hey, guys, you need to be ready. And we're talking to our friends. You need to be ready. Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night, like that. Be ready. I think all the pieces of the pie are in alignment for that season of end times, eschatology. And so Jesus is going to come back. 
And all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands, hopefully more, will disappear. And then the ushering of the Antichrist will step up. And so there's conditioning going on right now. For, there's conditioning going on. All the things that you see that are going on are leading up. Each and every day is leading up to a closer time when Jesus comes back. And then there'll be an individual called the Antichrist. He's Antichrist. He'll come on the scene, a Christ-like figure, but he's Antichrist. And he'll have the answers. He'll, have, uh, uh, he'll bring about peace. He'll have a, a, an anointing on him, but it's a demonic anointing. Many people will fall for it. He'll bring world peace. He'll, he'll bring a one-world order, a one-world currency, and get everybody on the same page. And you might be thinking, how could somebody state or enforce things and expect everybody to line up and do it? Thirty years ago, I would say, yeah, that's, it doesn't seem like it's, it seems like it's far away, but it seems like it's a lot closer today, doesn't it? Understand what the Bible says. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Wow. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Early on in my Christianity, I had a, a pretty big discussion with a family member, and I was caught up on, in some other things about faith, and I said, you know, if you're going to be saved, you need to do this, this, and this. I mean, you should, if you're saved and you're a Christian, you should be able to do this, this, and this, and this. These are the things that you should do that prove that you're saved. And my brother-in-law looks at me and he says, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just blew me right out of the water. <laughs> Amen. Romans 10, 9 through 10. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how simple it is. We make things complicated. Well, to be saved, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. No, 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 no. It's Jesus only. It's a relationship with Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That word belief may mean different things to you, but it means walking in, truly believing. Not just mental assent like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I'm okay. I've got fire insurance. I'm good to go. No, 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 no. That word belief is walking in. You are in Christ. Paul uses that term, in Christ. And so... Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for the wrath, for God's wrath remains on him. And so, the point Paul has made here in this first section of, of Romans 9 is God hasn't failed Israel. Okay? God hasn't failed Israel. God has not failed because Israel failed. God hasn't failed us when we fail. Because, listen, true Israel 
is true believers. We are the church. In Christ, you are the church. God could have chosen Esau and rejected Jacob if he wanted. You know, if you want to know anything about scoundrels, read the story of Jacob and Esau. Okay? Jacob and Isaac and just all the things that they did, the deception. And you wonder, how could God choose them? Look at King David, all the things that he did. He, and, it, and the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He committed adultery, and I'm not, I don't want to give you license to say, well, I'm going to go do all those things because God will still love me. No, 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 no. God knows our heart. But the point is God chooses his sovereign will, his election. And the question remains this morning, and I'll leave you with this. Wherever you're listening from, has God called you? I want you to know if you're here this morning, you're listening this morning, I wouldn't doubt if grandma's been praying for you, your mom's been praying for you, your friends have been praying for you, you got drugged to church this morning, your kids said, I want to go to Sunday school, oh, I want to sleep, I want to go to Sunday school, I want to sleep, it. daddy, mom, I want to go to Sunday, I love it when kids prompt their parents, it's like, Let's, we want to go, that's why we put donuts out there, we tempt you to come <laughs> to church, you know, all right? And that's the only reason we put them out there. <laughs> but the question remains, has God called you? Have you received him? Or will you continue to reject him? That's, that's a hard thing, what I just said. Has God called you? Have you received him? Or will you continue to reject the Lord? I pray not. I pray that you've received God, and if, if you haven't, let's do that right now. It's that simple. Wherever you're at, would you bow your heads? I want to pray with you and for you right now. Father, I just thank you for each person this morning, each family represented here this morning, Lord. We thank you for Romans, the excitement of Romans 8, and kind of the downshift to Romans 9, and yet we see the concern Paul has for the salvation of his family of his friends and Lord we have that same concern this morning for our family and friends for each other and Lord we realize that all who call upon your name will be saved and so God I pray right now that you would work Holy Spirit in the hearts of each person in the minds of each person this morning as they watch this message as they're here listening to this message if they're not certain if they're saved, if they've been chosen by God, Lord, I pray that many would give their heart to you this morning. Soften their hearts, Holy Spirit. If you're not absolutely certain that if you were to die today, that you'd spend eternity in heaven, I want you to know you can be certain today by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. The Bible is true. When you surrender and allow Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he saves you, he forgives you of your sin. And he gives you the gift of eternal life. So as every head is bowed, as all eyes are closed, I'd like to know how many of you, with a show of hands, would give their heart to Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe you today are rededicating your life to the Lord. 
Raise your hand up high so I can see. God bless you in the back. God bless you over here on the side. God bless you all. God bless you outside. If you raised your hand up high, go ahead. God bless you if you, did, if you have. If you're watching online, raise your hand up. You want to give your heart to the Lord? You want to rededicate your life to the Lord? God bless you. Now, the most important part, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Please pray with your heart, with all sincerity. Here we go. Repeat this prayer out loud after me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave on the third day. I now ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I rededicate my life to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.